Hey there, what's up everybody? Welcome to Evoke Greatness. This podcast was created for those of you who, like me, are driven by their curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. If you have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, or maybe you're just curious on how some of the most successful people have navigated their journey, we share the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and all the lessons learned along the way. It doesn't matter what chapter you are on in your story. Maybe you're just getting started, or heck, maybe you're halfway through. What I know is where intention goes, energy flows. It's my most sincere hope that you will hear something in one or maybe many of these episodes that resonates with you and reminds you that you are not in this alone. As we venture into year two, I hope that you find a sense of connection and community when you're here, because we all deserve a place where we belong. My name is Sunny, and I am so glad you're here. If you're new, there's a few things you want to know about me. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to Evoke Greatness. My guest today is Erica Rooney. Erica is an executive coach and consultant, the chief people officer at Blue Acorn ICI, and the host of the podcast From Now to Next. She is also a fellow chief member, and if you know anything about us chiefs, we fiercely support one another. So glad to have you here, Erica. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. We're just, you know, really getting to know each other. And something that you reference a lot within your platform is glass ceilings and sticky floors. And this has really been the foundation to what you've created. So I would love for you to share kind of your journey and what led up to that fire in you to help others get unstuck. Absolutely. So first, I'll kind of explain what the heck I mean by glass ceilings and sticky floors. And as a chief people officer and HR coach and consultant, I have truly found that people and women in particular, we often get stuck in our own sticky floors and that's what stops us from busting through the glass ceilings. And what I mean by sticky floors are limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough. I don't have the right qualifications. Somebody's not going to pay me enough, you know, to perfectionism, to toxic behaviors, toxic relationships, and then also the gravity of the systemic issues that pull us down like racism ageism and sexism. So all of those are things that kind of keep us stuck, right? Things like ageism, racism, and sexism, we are not going to solve today, right? That's going to take a lot of work and generations to truly solve. But those thoughts between our heads, the limiting beliefs that hold us back from busting through the glass ceilings, like we can actually take control of a lot of those things and accelerate our own growth. So To kind of like rewind it and take it back to the beginning, when I was in college, I discovered that my true passion was actually helping people. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a nurse. That's how you help people. You know, I went to nursing school, realized very quickly I don't like blood and guts and all that. So like that was out. (laughs) So I actually, through like a string of serendipitous events, became a personal trainer. And I really fell in love with fitness and helping people achieve all sorts of things through that lifestyle, right? 
I help them achieve their weight loss goals. I help them achieve their goals of being able to play with their grandkids to accomplish personal goals like running marathons. And I was actually a health and wellness coordinator for Verizon for years, but I'm also very much a growth mindset person. And that kind of career can only get you so far. And it just kind of became very stagnant for me. And that's when I really shifted into HR and started helping people through their careers. So I was still getting to really, you know, light my fire with the passion of helping people. I was working through employee relations. I was helping people through learning and development, finding career paths for them. And I was really enjoying that. And as I climbed the corporate ladder, like many people do, I became more and more removed from the actual employees and helping people and more and more focused on helping organizations. And that's great. And I love it. But it didn't quite give me that same gratification as helping people. And that's when I started executive coaching and really talking with women about glass ceilings and sticky floors and connecting them. And I realized through my podcast that the more that we share these stories and the more that we talk about them, we are bringing light to the things that we keep way down deep inside of us, right? Like those things that we consider shameful, those things that we keep tucked away in the dark that we don't share with other people. And when we bring light to those stories, we're inviting other women to actually talk about like, okay, me too, right? Like I'm looking at LinkedIn and social media. Those people didn't fly to the top of the corporate ladder without some struggle. And now they're talking about their struggles and they're sharing their struggles and women can identify with that. So that's like the very long story of like how I got from, you know, helping people get healthy to helping people break through glass ceilings by getting out of their sticky floors. Yeah, which is another form of getting healthy, right? It's it's that Absolutely. mental, it's that psychological, it's the unpacking of the the junk, the stuff that yep. is sometimes the story we tell ourselves about ourselves that is created through the lens in which we view the world based on our experiences up until now. And I and that's so important and that limiting mindset is something that I think more people struggle with. Those feelings that you talked about of the not feeling worthy, not feeling equipped, whatever, you know, fill in the blank, right? Um, there are these fears around how we show up every mm -hmm. single day. And I think the, the gift that you provide others is finding their way out of that because people can stay stuck in that their entire lives and never feel like they're they're there, never feel like they should be there, wherever there is, right? They shouldn't, mm -hmm. they don't feel like they can own the space that they're taking up. And so I think that's such an incredible gift. And it's something I often talk about on this podcast with my guests. And so that's why it was, it resonates so well. And I think what you do is important work. And so it's, there's the, there's the physically healthy, and then there's that mentally and psychologically healthy, which are equally as important. Well, and there's two pieces too that I think are really important to talk about. Like number one, the glass ceiling, the way I look at it is it is not necessarily the corporate glass ceiling, sure. right? Like you don't have to be aspiring to bust through the C-suite. It could be you want to teach yoga out of your van in California. I don't know, you know? So there's that concept of the glass ceiling. And then the other thing is that no one is ever truly unstuck, right? Like there is always a sticky floor lurking somewhere, no matter how like woke you may be about yourself or how in tune you may be about yourself, we're always going to have kind of that gut reaction of like, oh my gosh, I can't, or I shouldn't, or, you know, not me. Right. But it's the 
emotional intelligence, I guess, to become more aware of it and then deciding how you want to act. And I'll even use myself, for example, like I sat on the idea of hosting my podcast for six months, maybe I was like, I want to host a podcast. I love talking to people. It would be so great. But I literally sat on that because I was fearing what other people would say about me hosting a podcast. Right. Like number one, why do I care what others say about me hosting a podcast? Why is that even a concern of mine? And then number two, I also believe that like, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm loud. I'm very extroverted. Like I already know that there are people who are not going to be out there wanting to listen to me. So why do I care? But I let that hold me back for probably longer than six months, honestly. And for what reason? Nothing, nothing good. Right. And so it's like, we all have sticky floors, But when you work through them and you're more aware of them, so like now I know when I'm sitting on something and I I stop and I ask myself like, okay, Erica, what is the courageous thing to do here? Because being, you know, having courage and acting with courage is one of my core values. So I try to ask myself that. And that's what I asked myself after when I finally was coming to the realization that I was holding myself back is I was like, okay, I'm not acting with courage on this one. Like I am very much being stuck, right? And I mean, I'm very proud of myself. My podcast is doing very well. But imagine if I had started six months earlier. Right. You know, where would I be today? And it is what it is. We'll get there. But it's just that, like, how long do we let ourselves be stuck? No, I, I and that resonates personally with me. And and anybody who's listened to this show before knows that I sat on this for a year. Yeah. Terrified of like, I'm going to sound like a complete idiot who has no idea what they're talking about. I don't have a background in, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't. And finally it was like, this is insane. This is insane. I will not be great at it. And I think, I think, you know, being a little bit more of that A type woman, Mm -hmm. you want to be good at it. And so I think that's almost another piece that holds you back, but it's like, okay, I want to go out on the very first one and be really good at it. Well, I'm not going to be. And so Am I okay sucking for as long as I need to before I start getting better? And so episode one may not be great, right? And but I had to force myself, same thing. I'm like, I'm gonna record this and then I'm hitting publish. And there, and then there's no going back. It's there. Right. <laughs> I kind of did frankly, something similar where I finally just emailed a bunch of my like powerful women in my network. And I was like, I'm gonna email them that this is what I'm doing and that I'm looking for them to be guests on the show because once yeah. it's out there, like I can't take it. Right. Back. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for anybody who looks from the outside and says, oh gosh, these women look like they have it together. They're successful. They're all these things, right? Here's the permission, people, everybody who's listening. If there's an idea you're sitting on, if it's a podcast, just do the thing, whatever the thing is, you know, take that next bold step baby step, whatever that looks like. But, you know, I think taking that next step, you're really doing a service for other people who uh, I heard a saying recently, it was on uh, Ed Milet's podcast, and he said, you're uniquely qualified to teach those. I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but you're uniquely qualified to teach those of the place that you've been before. Mm. And and so when you've been there, you have a li- maybe a little bit, maybe just a little bit more wisdom about that journey and that path. And I think when we openly share that, gives people permission to do whatever it is that they, you know, they feel like they're, they've been sitting on or that kind of secret thing that's sitting inside of them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting too, because I'm a mom, right? I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. 
And my seven-year-old's, you know, doing all the baseball things and, and I watch him avoid the things that are hard, you know, like he doesn't want to do push-ups because they're hard. Yeah. Even though they'll make him better at training. And I tell him like, you did not start off hitting these balls in baseball out of the park. Right. And now look at how good you are. Like you didn't start riding a bike with no problems. Like you have to work up to it. I'm like, how is it that I can tell my son all these things? <laughs> and like, I'm teaching him this, but I can't even just get on and have a conversation with somebody over a zoom call and right. put it out there as podcast. Like, come on, get yep, yourself. Together. Absolutely. <laughs> have you always been such an ambitious and, and driven you know, person, uh, has that been since your childhood? Is that something that you're through your journey you've stepped oh, into gosh. more? <laughs> yeah, I can truthfully say that. Yes, it has been. And it's, I can give you a few really good examples in that. Um, I was a latchkey kid, so I would come home after school. My parents would be at work and I would immediately do my homework, like from the jump. I was always at like, let's get everything done. Whereas my brother would just like throw his backpack. He'd go out and play, have snacks, whatever. But like, I had to get it done. So it started there. And then when I was in college, I got my bachelor's and my master's. I did a combined degree program. I got it in four years. And so I sat wow. there and I was like, well, I can get my PhD by the time I'm 26. And I was with my mentor and my mentor was like, well, what are you going to do with a PhD, Erica? And I was like, well, I don't know. And she was like, well, why don't you, why don't we like nail that down before you just jump into this program? That's going to cost you a lot of time and a lot of money. And I was like, okay, so how do we do that? And she's like, well, do you want to teach? And I was like, no, she's like, okay, do you want to do research? No. Okay. She's like, so why do you need it? And I was like, so people can call me doctor. And she's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not a reason, Erica. <laughs> so I was like, so I say yes. And sometimes to my detriment, and I will say sometimes to my detriment too, because it keeps me, and this is one of my sticky floors from celebrating some of my wins. Right. And my therapist all the time is like, Erica, did, what did you do to celebrate that? And I'm like, I don't know. I had dinner. And she's like, no, you intentionally need to celebrate, you know? So yes, I've always been very ambitious. I'm always trying to learn more, do more, trying to figure out how I can do it better, um, which I think is great. I think some people do have to work at that a little bit more. It's not quite as just like in their blood, I suppose. Um, but yeah, not always a good thing. <laughs> can be to the detriment at times, right? It like can it can, you can lean detriment. too heavy one way. So again, sticky floor moment, trying to work on enjoying the presence, you know, cause I'm always like, I'm the kind of person that when I get that job, I'm like, okay, so I just landed this job. Like I'm going to be here for three years and then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to get that certification. Why? I literally just got the job. I haven't even maybe started yet. So how about I just enjoy the job for a minute and then go to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Cause it's hard for you to be present. I, I, I suffered, <laughs> suffered from that for a number of years and it was always what's next. Yes. You know, what is that next step and what's that next promotion and that next title. And I got so stuck in that chase mm -hmm. that it, my leadership was less than because I was seeing things more of, out of a kind of an egotistical lens. And it was like mm -hmm. having a gnashing of teeth with my, with my ego and really making some mistakes as a result of being so focused on being that star student or having that title or getting that promotion. Yeah, And it was a pivotal point in my leadership when I finally said, okay, I can conquer the world. 
but I'm not going to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to want to follow somebody who wants to do it alone, right? And so no. if you can conquer the world and bring everybody along with you who wants to grow and go and learn and 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 conquer themselves, that's the way to go, you know? And, and it, it, whoever, there's always an extra seat. Whoever wants a seat, there's always an extra seat. Yeah. Well, and I'm constantly talking with everyone in my company about this, that it takes all kinds of kinds for a company to run successfully, right? Right. There are those people who are like me, just ingrained in growth and always looking to improve. And, and there are people who are like, I'm an individual contributor. This, this a hundred percent satisfies everything that I want to do, everything I want to be like, I am good, you know? And then there are those people that they're going through a season in their life where maybe they don't need any more disruption or growth or things added to their plate. Maybe they just had a child. Maybe they have a parent that they're caring for whatever the reason, right? So I always talk to my people and I'm like, and I have to remind myself because I am such a growth-minded individual that not everybody is chasing the next thing. right? And that is okay. And to embrace that and to continue to fill their cup with whatever it is they need. Maybe it's just continued support, checking in so that they can come to work and feel fulfilled. Yeah. And meeting them where they are. I think that's the important piece is um, I think young leaders typically, I was guilty of this, young leaders typically think that everybody else should be doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's such a, it's such a painful lesson to learn. Uh, I remember hiring a handful of people on my team and, and my direct leader at the time said, do you notice that everybody hires just like you? And I was like, ah. Well, yes. I mean, and and I was like almost proud of it, uh, you know, and, and I yeah. shudder like thinking back to it. To, yeah. And he thought, and he said, so if you're hiring everybody who's just like you, how are your blind spots covered? You know, mm-hmm. how are the things that you're not great at? How are those things getting done? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so, and you know, again, it's like just those really hard lessons where you have to get introspective and say, dang, I'm not doing this right you know, and then be w- being willing to do things differently. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I always preach this is like hire the people who can fill those voids that you are not good at, exactly. right? Specifically seek them out. <laughs> and so we do try to do that. It's, it's interesting in the HR world because I do feel like there's a very much a niche of people, you know, so you have to be careful, but, um, right. Yeah. Hire the people who fill your gaps for sure. Own it. That's the other thing is like own those gaps right? and know that you can't be good at everything. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you see a link between mindset and physical health? I know you're very into fitness. You're very into a growth mindset. So I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'd love to hear you. I'd love to hear your perspective on how that plays a role in one's success personally or professionally. Yeah. So I mean, obviously my fitness, my love for fitness started very early. Um, Maybe not as early now as kids are doing all these things so much younger, but I, for me, fitness is also very much a mental health check, you know, being in a career HR where my days are unpredictable and I can't control what the outcome is going to be to wake up in the morning, knock out a good workout and move along with my day. Like, I feel like, okay, I have control over that, right? There's all the science behind it too. The endorphins, the dopamine hits that you gather from that. But I very much embrace that as part of a healthy mindset and keeping my mental health in check. I will tell you, I had a really interesting 
conversation with somebody on my podcast about perfectionism. And I would not say that I'm a perfectionist by any means. I know I am sloppy in certain areas. I'm not one to use spell check necessarily, like just don't really care about certain things. But I am a perfectionist when it comes to my workout. And I was the kind of person, and I say was because I'm working on this. It's a sticky floor that I'm working through. But I was a perfectionist that if I couldn't get a 60 minute workout in, like it wasn't good enough. Like it was not good enough. Don't do it. It's a waste of time. Whereas my husband would come up here. He would, I say up here because I'm up in my home office slash home <laughs> gym for everybody that can't see me. But he would come up here and be like, I only have time for 15 minutes. I'm going to do this. And he would knock something out in 15 minutes. And in my head, I'm going, what's that going to do for you? Like, that's ridiculous. When my brain knows that 15 minutes of physical activity is so much better for you than zero. Right. But I was sitting there in this mentality of like, it has to be perfect or it's not worth it. You know? So now I'm working on shifting my mindset along with my physical fitness aspect of it to be like movement is important. And as long as you get some movement in during the day, you have achieved what you have achieved. Now, don't get me wrong. I still love to set my goals. I'm a big runner. Um, I have the goal every year to run two marathons in a different state so that I can get both of my loves for travel and for fitness knocked out in one. Um, So I do set goals like that. And I will go through periods where like what I train and how I train is very important. But when I'm not in one of those moments, then I very much am trying to give myself grace to pull myself out of that perfectionism sticky floor. (laughs) Right, right. Between, so, you know, between your fitness, you're really a a fitness fanatic, you're a mom, you're a busy executive. Mm. What does a day in the life of Erica look like when it, and and when it comes to what are the non-negotiables? You know, my guess is, a fitness routine of some sort, but you know, we all have those non-negotiables, like no matter what, I am not willing to sacrifice this. I need to have this each day. What does that look like for you? Yep. So I'm an early bird, you know, every, everyone knows that I, you can reach me probably by four 30, right? Like I'm up super early every day. I like to get my physical activity in first thing in the morning because then check done off my list. I like to work on my own business. So I do HR coaching and consulting. I have this podcast. I try to take care of all of those things in the early morning hours. And then, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock comes and I'm doing the kid thing. You know, it's like all in, kids ready, out the door. It is super fast, super hustle and bustle. And kids are out the door, work starts. I am very fortunate that I work for a company where we are a family first, remote first company. So everybody knows that I work all throughout the day, but at three o'clock I am offline to go pick my kids up from school. So then I go into mom mode, pick them up. We do homework. I'm home, um, finish working out the rest of the, or working the rest of the day. And then at five 30 ish is I go into family time. So that's when we start working on the dinner, dinner, bath, bed, that rat race, Um, and then we start it all over again. So non-negotiables for me are that workout in the morning. It is also getting the bedtime stuff in at bed, you know, like baths and, and reading and making sure that I'm completely disconnected from my electronics at that time so that I have that time with my kids and my husband. Um, but it's also, I feel very blessed that I have very much a work-life integration, And I say that because I'm, it's not a balance, you know, but I'm very much flowing in and out of chief people officer, 
mom, chief people officer, mom. And it works well for me. You know, I, I truly feel like in the role that I'm in, I am able to bring my whole self to work, being that I can be a fully present chief people officer, and then I can pop out and be a fully present mom and do homework with my second grader, and then pop back, pop back in and do a meeting, right? Whereas in all of my other roles, it was nine to five work. Like, that's what you are. You're an HR professional work. Leave exactly at five to get to daycare on time into mom mode, hundred percent, nothing else, go to bed, repeat. Right. And it was very much dictated by the clock because everything is, when you got little kids in daycare, everything is to the minute, you know? Right. And I'm so lucky now there's no more commutes. Like this is the, this is what the pandemic did for me. Right. And I say this knowing that it comes from a place of privilege and that I can work from home and I have that ability to flex in and out. Um, But that's been super huge for me being a mom. Like I feel like I'm at a place where I actually, even though it is the highest level job that I've had, I actually feel more balanced. Well, and I think being with a company who has that perspective and allows that to be the norm, it really sets the bar and sets the standard as that. Are you an executive woman who is burned out, not feeling seen? Are you looking to optimize yourself or your business? If this is you, I have limited spots available for executive coaching. To set up a free exploratory call, just go to my website, evokegreatness.com, and you can schedule a time that works for you. Now, back to the show. It's kind of a, a perfect segue into talking a little bit more about the kind of that people-centric culture, work, HR. Um, as an HR executive and coach, something that I'm sure you see a lot of leaders struggle with are those really hard parts of leadership, those hard parts that sometimes people shy away from, and that is having difficult conversations, conflict resolution. And so what would be a few tips that you have as people are having those hard conversations or trying to facilitate them, and maybe they're not very good at them, and sometimes we're not very good at things, we avoid them. And we uh-huh. all know what happens when we avoid hard conversations. And so maybe a few tips or perspective that you could share for folks who that's a that's a sticky floor for them. Yeah. No, and that's a I call that job security for me, first of all. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because like anytime anything pops up and it lands in my lap like that, I'm like, this is It's great because everybody's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, nope, this is job security. But I have two perspectives on that that I really hold true. And number one, it's all about reacting in time, right? And that's, I like to call it eating the frog. Do the thing you don't want to do first, right? Because it is hard to have these conversations and people put it off because they don't want to hurt your feelings or they know you're going to be upset or give you bad news. But the sooner... You say it, number one, you no longer have that anxiety weighing down on you. You're no longer worrying about it. You can focus on the rest of your life and your work. But number two, you're giving the other person the opportunity to plan whatever, whatever the hard conversation is, right? Maybe you're having a conversation about denying PTO. They can plan to change that. Maybe you're having the conversation about their performance is terrible, they can plan on how they're going to get better for that, right? So giving them, you're just giving them the gift of time to correct or adapt or change. That's the first thing. Don't put it off. The second thing that I have is be honest, but be kind. 
because you can be both at the same time, right? And I have seen, for example, people who have to be terminated for performance. I have seen some where I'm like, I would rate that as zero out of 10. It was so horrific, <laughs> right? Like, yes. hello, what are you doing, right? And then I have seen some that I'm like, 10 out of 10, like this should be your day job. Nothing but firing people because you're so good at it, you know? And people are like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) But, you know, when you are empathetic and when you are kind, even when you have to deliver bad news, it's just, it's about the people experience, you know? And we know it's not going to be rainbows and butterflies all the time. Like it just, that is not life. We all know that, but the kinder that you can be and, and being honest is kind. Like, let's be, let's be real about that, right? Like if you're having a conversation around performance and you are not being completely honest about how they're not meeting expectations, they can't fix that. You're not being kind, you know? And so people try to sugarcoat or they try to you know, go, Hey, you're doing, you're doing that sandwich method. Oh, the sandwich. sandwich method. Don't, I don't know who came up with the sandwich method. I'm going to Google that after this podcast, but it's got to go because what happens is they hear really good stuff, a little bit of tough information followed by really good stuff. So then they leave the conversation. They're like, well, I'm doing pretty good. I just got to work on this one little thing. And then you try to go fire them the next day. And they're like, what? You know, so you can't shy away from those tough conversations. And the more I hate to say it this way, but the more you do them, the better it gets. You know what I mean? Like the more you confront them, you have those conversations and acknowledge that they're hard. You right. know, hey, I'm about to have a really tough conversation, but we've got to have it today. Boom. Segway done. Right. Go into it. Right. Don't be that manager that logs on for the day and says, this is bad news, but I'm going to fire you. No, (laughs) you know, that is not kind, you know, be that manager that comes in and says, listen, I have to have a really tough conversation with you. As you know, like your performance is not meeting expectations because you've been telling them that all along, right? It's not a surprise. And then you let them go. Like those hard conversations can be kind and they can be life changing for individuals because I don't know about you, but for me, those moments that really stick in my brain are the moments when feedback, constructive feedback has been given to me, but in a very honest and kind way. They don't make me feel bad about myself. They don't make me feel like I was a failure, but it was just delivered in a way that was honest and kind. And that allows you the opportunity to do something, right? And if you're not, excuse me, if you're not being honest with someone, you're really robbing them of the opportunity. And that is, that's, you know, that, that is a form of poor leadership. And we have to get a little braver when it comes to that, because think about it, you know, put, put the shoe on the other foot and it's like, okay, if you had some challenges, which we all do, and somebody came to you and said, you know, sugarcoat, eh, a little bit of feedback, sugarcoat. You're not, they're not saying, hey, here's a plan. Let's create an opportunity. And anybody who has ever had a difficult conversation with someone and seen the turnaround, like that is, it's that perfect example of when someone takes the feedback and they get introspective and self-aware and they say, all right, 
here's the work I need to do and I'm willing to put the work in. And they turn around and they become this really great whatever, you know, whatever role they are. Right. And not only is that great for them, it's great for people who, around them who see that. It's a, it's exactly. a shining example of what's possible. Exactly. I mean, I have... I have a leader, he gives great feedback all the time. And I say great feedback because he lets me know when I'm falling short. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's no question if I've left a gap somewhere and there's no question if I need to close that gap, you know, and, and then I can work on it versus getting to my mid-year review or year-end review. And he's like, let me list out all the ways in which you fell short because I was uncomfortable having the conversation with you. Right. Like he doesn't let that, stop him, his uncomfortableness. Don't make it about you. <laughs> make right. it about your team member. Because when you have those tiny little bits of improvement and it's like that regular feedback of like, hey, I noticed in this meeting, you X, Y, and Z. It is number one, the timely feedback is important, right? But it is so much, you're getting this tiny little nugget to work on versus this like mile long list of stuff that you can't even recall. Right. And, and for those who aren't getting feedback, go and seek it out. Yeah. Ask for feedback. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had the personal experience. Others around me have had the experience where no news is good news. And so, you know, other than your maybe your annual performance eval, but oftentimes those are looked over too. And so mm -hmm. you go an entire year without any feedback whatsoever. Be the one who seeks it out. Go and ask, almost flip the script, right? And and make the ask of, hey, what are some areas that I can work on? Yeah. I would I used to ask that not even just of my my boss, but I would ask that of my peers, of my mm -hmm. team. Hey, what are some areas that I can get better on? Yeah. And Absolutely. that gives people the permission to say, oh, well, since you asked, you know, here's a couple of things, or here's where if you did this a little differently, it could help me more in my role or, you know, whatever that looks like. And oftentimes your peers are going to be able to give you more detailed feedback than your leader because they're who you're right. working with on a regular basis, right? Like they're, you're collaborating on projects, you know, all the things, but that being very specific is such a key factor as well. And I talk about this a ton with my people, but they'll come, people will come to me as HR and they'll be like, this person is terrible at communication. It's the worst. Like we need to put them on a performance improvement plan because they can't communicate. And I'm like, great, give me an example. And they're like, well, it's just, it's bad. And I'm like, let me, let me tell you this. If you go to somebody <laughs> and say your communication sucks, they're not going to know number one, what that means. Cause they likely think they're a great communicator, you know? And number two, you need to realize everybody communicates differently. So I may communicate better over text. I may communicate better over email, you know, like my CFO, she's not on Slack and all the things you want, or you got to call her, you know? Right. So like, you have to know those things. So come with specific examples. Don't sit there and say, you really lack executive presence. What the hell does that mean? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and I have a team member that I'm working on that with. And I was like, you apologize six times in that meeting. Ooh. Five of those times was nothing to apologize for, you know? So like flipping your script. So it's very like, that is how, and then she kind of remembers, oh my gosh. I, and she's starting to pick up on, I said, sorry. I said, sorry. You know, that's how you make change. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree. And, and sometimes people aren't even aware of it. And so bringing that awareness to them when they're 
when they're not even taking that space up in the room, to your point, the apologizing, or sometimes people have a hard time just coming out and saying what they want to say. They want to preface it with something that just destroys whatever. It sets it up for an absolute failure. You know, I know, I know this is probably going to sound really ridiculous or, you know, they, it's like, let me set, let me set this up for this to just, (laughs) and I'm so glad you said that because I actually have a really great example from this morning to share with you. So One of, we have an executive meeting um, every Monday at 8 a.m. And one of our executives just got back from dropping her daughter off in the UK. You can imagine there's a lot going on with the queen's funeral today. So everybody was like, everybody was talking about it, what they saw on the news about the queen, this, that, and the other. And then I'm also going to give you a little visual here in that everyone in pretty much in the C-suite is white except for two people. And those are our CEOs. I have dual CEOs. I have um, one who is Hispanic and I have one who is black. And my uh, CEO who is black actually texted me and he goes, just an interesting perspective. I don't really see anyone who identifies as a person of color talking about the queen. He was like, because it brings us back to the British monarchy. And when, if you didn't look like them, talk like them, think like them, that it was, you didn't fit in, you were less than. Mm. You know, and he talked about their past and everything going on with Meghan Markle. And I was like, dang, you know what? I never thought about it that way. I never saw it that way. Because guess what, people? I'm not a person of color. So I have, you know, it was a completely different lens for me to look through and to see it through. And he's not saying anything bad about it. Like we shouldn't have been talking about it. But he was like, just wanted to offer that perspective. And I was like, I love hearing those perspectives because you're right. I wouldn't have thought about it that way. And it's the awareness factor. So we talk a lot about awareness as it relates to like DEI in our organization, because if you don't share it, if he had not shared that with me, I would have, it would have never crossed my mind. Absolutely. And there's that security and comfortability in being able to share that and, and knowing that you would see value in it. Right. Yeah. And then I receive it a certain way. Right. Right. And I know too, that he does not share that with everyone on the team because not everyone would receive it in that way. Right. Right. And he even, he, and this is the thing, he even said, sorry for being a Debbie Downer. I'm like, it's not being a Debbie Downer. You're just, if you are totally giving me a different perspective and a different level of awareness, it's not right or wrong. It's just a different perspective, you know? So we talk about all those things, but I thought that was so fitting to kind of what you said about awareness and just knowing because had he not said that would have completely never been on my radar. Right. I'm a firm believer in, in people over everything. And I think that's really, it goes bigger than the HR mindset or or lens. Right. Um, but I think this could really be perceived as culture within an organization is people over everything. What have you seen or experienced that you think contributes to a really healthy and engaging culture? You know, we're in this we're in this place of quiet quitting, of quiet firing, of the great resignation, you know, whatever key term you want to throw around that, that we see some trends in the news. But what do you think keeps people in a healthy, engaging organization? I think belonging keeps people in an organization. I think that is one of the, the biggest pieces. Belonging, and it's something you said earlier, meeting people where they're at, mm. right? And... It is like I hate quiet quitting. I think that's a cop out BS term oh, yes. for organi- for certain organizations. Like I just it drives me up the wall. I'm like that's a buzzword, guys. Move along. And actually, yes. a lot of people really have. But being able to create a space 
where people can show up as their whole selves, right? I'll use me again, for example, being a mom, being open about my struggles with parenthood, or this is a really hard schedule for me or whatever, allows other people to do the same. And then also, I will say this too, I have a lot of people on my team who are not parents, right? Like don't always use the parent thing, their lives and their commitments, whether that's to go get their hair done or their nails done. And instead I'm picking up my kid. It's just as important, sure. you know, and, and creating that space and, and letting them know that that is okay. You know? So I think those two things are probably the most important. And I think, especially I've got someone on my team, she's got three kids she is what I like to call, you know, the first parent, meaning like when, when shit hits the fan, you're the first one people go to, right? Who, <laughs> yeah. does that school call, who does the school call? You, right? So when things happen, she has to go pick up her kids or do this, that. And she had just one of those weeks where literally there was something every single day. And she knew that she was going to be falling short at work in the working hours. So she wrote me this email like late at night letting me know that this was happening and she wasn't going to be around and she was so sorry and she felt so bad about it. And I was like, don't even worry about it. Like that is a couple hours every day is fine. You will figure it out. Prioritize what has to be done this week. Let the rest go until next week. We'll cancel our one-on-one so you can put that time wherever you need to. And we devised a plan that like, if it was an emergency, I would text her. Otherwise everything else would just come through emails. And guess what? No emergencies happened. (laughs) You know, work was fine. Right. Everything that she pushed lived on, you know, but creating that space where she felt okay to come to me and say like, shit's hitting the fan and I'm not going to be a great employee this week. it, It really allowed her to like breathe a sigh of relief and not live through a week of anxiety, feeling like she was falling short in all areas of her life. Right. And this may just kind of go a little bit deeper on that, but I think that there are major pain points in the world right now when it comes to people in the workforce, Mm -hmm. and that is shortages in staffing, right? That's not just in one industry. Uh, You know, I'm in the healthcare industry, and and Lord knows we there's just not enough to go around, but that's really everywhere. And so the shortages in staffing, wage inflation, right? That is really challenging for organizations that budgeted X and now are at Z, Right. Uh, and and they're having to figure that out from a financial um, stewardship position and then turnover because people are because of the shortage, people are making atrocious offers, you know, offers that people would be challenged to turn down because maybe it's a complete remote work from home. Maybe it's, you know, a whole lot more from a salary perspective, but people are th- th- those are those main pain points that are plaguing the world. And so from the HR lens, what are some ways that organizations or leaders can really combat those challenges? <laughs> I would say, uh, if you have the answer, let me know. <laughs> because all of those things have been real pain points and true pain points in, in my organization as well, right? We have really struggled finding staffing. We are in tech and e-commerce. And I mean, those got number one, there's not a plethora of people out there with those skill sets. So then of course their wages skyrocketed. We have been right. dealing with a ton of that. 
Um, so we have really been working on relationships with people and trying to put our best foot forward and promote internally and give internal opportunities where we can't make up for things like the crazy wage increases and things like that, you know, and it's been kind of one of those ways for my organization, we had to sit a lot of it out, right? We actually worked a lot on train up programs. So bringing Mm -hmm. in young college graduates, that was one of our solutions because we were not one of those organizations that could swing all the way over to the left and just start giving out $200,000 salaries. You know, we just couldn't do it. So we were like, okay, how are we going to get creative? So we started with the train-up programs. We put people into mentor situations where they were mentors and mentees and different growth opportunities in that way. And that's kind of gotten us over the hump. We did lose a lot of people. We had a lot of turnover and we just really had to roll with the punches. Um, But I feel like the pendulum is kind of swinging back in the other direction, right? Like we saw where it was so crazy the other way where staffing was low, people were giving crazy salary requests, hiring all the time. And now it's kind of in that pendulum backswing to the other side. You're seeing a lot of layoffs at a lot of these high-tech companies. And those people who were the first to leave for higher salaries are the first being left off because there's no tenure there. Um, We've actually had a lot of what I like to call the boomerang people. You know, the people who leave thinking the grass is greener. And then they're like, eh, not so much. I didn't really realize how great I had it. You know, and and it's all part of the game. So we're just trying to roll with the punches and be flexible and but be true to our people too, you know, and and be smart, right? We have to be business smart first. And my boss is the king of saying this. He's like, my job is to keep people employed. <laughs> like I right. cannot keep people employed if I'm giving everybody two hundred thousand dollars in salaries. Just not possible. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's and that's a great way to look at it that uh, and I think from the employee perspective, you have companies that the ones who dole all of that out are are then in a really bad position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when you can communicate it in a way where my job is to make sure that this that that I keep people in place and keep the organization going, and that's a really fine yeah. line. <laughs> I think people understand that a little bit more. I think it, it got a little crazy and a little hairy for a while with the offers that were going out, oh, which were gosh. just unbelievable. But to your point, I think we are. I think there is some sort of a, I don't know that it would be a normalization, but we're but it's coming back out of that, that pendulum, crazy yeah. zone. Yeah. And I'll say this too, like people are not meant to be with you for life at any moment. Right. That's not that's not how it works, you know? So Yes. Some people are going to leave. And one of my things that I tell everybody when people start, because leaders get in this, like they're the best architect we've ever had, or they're the best this, and they have all this knowledge transfer. And I tell people all the time, look, if no one is replaceable, like no one is promotable. Right. So all of these people, you're telling me like this organization can never change because Bob leaves, like it's just going (laughs) to fall apart. You know, and we have to, you have to set yourself up for success like that, right? You can't put all your eggs in one basket. You've got to make sure that there are standard operating procedures in place, knowledge, you know, transfers between people, who's doing what, you know, and when you have all of those things outlined, it makes it less painful if and when someone leaves. But like that is a part of corporate America. And I think, I think what the average tenure now is like two and a half years might be less for all I know. 
Right. But it's not long considering right. it takes a, at least one whole calendar year for someone to understand the full life cycle of a role. Right. So plan accordingly, you know, do the best you can, but understand that like these people are going to move on and it's okay. Yeah. Being someone who has had my own fair share of missteps turned lessons, you know, uh, falling down along the way, I'm curious if there's something along your journey that may have been a perceived failure or a misstep that once you were past it, you were like, ah, this was a, this was a powerful lesson. Oh my gosh. Yes. I have a, <laughs> I have a really good one. Um, so in my last company, I pitched the idea of a different HR structure of a different role. And I was not chief people officer. I was a contributor for a large chunk of the organization. Like I had a lot of responsibility, but I was not the head of the whole entire function, but I pitched a very powerful key role. And at the time, the CEO of the company and the HR leaders were like, yep, we like that. We're going to move forward. We're going to interview for that interview for that role, make it fair. Everything's good. And I was like, sure, get it. So we interviewed for the role and I didn't get it. And I felt like that was a slap in the face. Like I created this role. I gave you the job description for this role and you didn't hire me. What? Like I really felt yeah, a certain kind of way about it. And I cried for a long time because I loved that company. I still love that company. They're a great company. But I felt very betrayed um, for a multitude of reasons. And when I look back on it, that was also one of those moments where I think I acted like the role was already mine, you know, and I did not prepare for that interview the way that I should have. And somebody came in and interviewed a hell of a lot better than I did. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and I was devastated. And then I was devastated because I kind of knew it was my fault. You know, like I was, I knew that I didn't prepare, right? But that was the pivotal moment where I realized because of everything that had kind of come into play, that that wasn't going to be a place for me anymore. Like, and it was my own doing, you know, I'll, I will own that a hundred percent, but that's when I networked with where I am now. And I reached out to people and I got, I ended up landing this job as a chief people officer, which was a much bigger step for me than the job that I had pitched at my old company. It's right. allowed me so much more freedom with my children, all my stay at homes, but it was definitely a lesson that was very hard to learn and very hard to accept of like, this is, this is where you had a big gap. Yeah. So every day isn't amazing, <laughs> right? And nope. so what, what do you do on those days when uh, those days are times when things aren't going great? to keep yourself grounded, to keep yourself inspired? Oof. Well, I eat a big bowl of ice cream. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's one. Um, I try to do, I really try to do a look back. And this is something that I'm working on for myself. And, and it kind of goes towards the what we talked about very early on is, you know, how do you accomplish something? And it's always one bite at, like, at a time. That's how you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. So when I launched my podcast, like I don't have 50 million followers right now. What's wrong with me? It's a failure. No, it's not. Look at what you've done. You know, look at how far you've come. So I really try when I'm having those days where I feel really stuck and I feel like it's been a failure and I didn't get the things done that I needed to get done. 
that I'm already doing a lot. You know, I am doing a lot and I am keeping the balls in the air for the most part, you know, and when that ball drops, you know, because inevitably I'm going to drop a ball somewhere like it's okay, but do that look back and see how far you've come. And that's really that's what I'm trying to do now. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wisdom that can come out of that, especially after that moment where it's like, you know, whatever, whatever it was that happened. Absolutely. I would love for you to share where people can find you and engage. And I will put all of this in the show notes, but uh, social media, website, you know, obviously um, sharing your your, uh, business platform as well. Absolutely. So the most active place I am is LinkedIn and I will connect connect with anyone. I will always respond to LinkedIn messages. Um, So I'm just, you know, on LinkedIn is Erica Rooney. I also have uh, Instagram and Facebook, which is from now to next. And then my podcast is from now to next. You can find that on all your podcast platforms. And then my business page, if you're like, I forgot all the things she just said, is from now to next.org, not.com.org. Um, but those are all the places you can find me. Super active on all of them. Uh, would love to interact with anyone who wants to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Erica. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening and for being here. I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, please take a minute and rate and review the podcast or share it with someone who you know may need to hear this message. I love to hear from you all, and I want you to know that you can leave me a voicemail directly. If you go to my website, evokegreatness.com, and go to the Contact Me tab, you'll just hit that big old orange button and record your message. I love the feedback and comments that I've been getting, so please keep them coming. I'll leave you with the wise words of Dwayne Johnson. Success is not always about greatness. It's about consistency. Consistent hard work leads to success. Greatness will come.